Hi, I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Monica. Hi, Dr. Denise. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for asking. Well, I want to tell our listeners that I went to hear you speak a week or so ago, and you were fantastic as usual. You had a captive audience of people like me and professionals who were asking you all kinds of wonderful questions that you answered so eloquently and it was amazing. So I want to talk about you when you go to these different um, presentations and talk to people like me and professionals. What do you think that we should ask you about? Because I heard some great questions and I won't upstage it by mentioning some of the questions that were asked of you about Alzheimer's and dementia. But what I want to know is when you are imparting your knowledge to people like me and other professionals, what are some of the best subjects that you like to discuss? And tell me what you think they should ask you. Well, I think that the things that I like to discuss are the things that allow people to take better care of their health and other things on their own, independent of a doctor. Too often, we think that a doctor or a specialist doctor of one sort or another can resolve our or our family members' particular health matter and provide all the social stuff needed. And the reality is that in healthcare, as in any other phase of your life, you have a responsibility to do your own due diligence. And so when I say that, I mean, particularly when it comes to Alzheimer's and related dementias, that we all bear some personal responsibility to doing what we should do for ourselves to make it less likely that that's something that's going to happen to us. So what can people do? What would I like people to do is start looking at what you can as an individual do to protect yourself against anything in terms of health. So we've just, we're coming out of a pandemic, but we know that this pandemic is with us always. So to make it less likely that I'm going to suffer the consequences of a COVID infection, 
and make it less likely that I'm going to die. I need to get my COVID vaccine. Yeah, there's stuff coming out on television, but at the bottom, the baseline is we now have a vaccine that protects and keeps us from getting COVID or certainly from uh, suffering the most dire consequences of having a COVID-19 infection. So we should get a vaccination, particularly if we are vulnerable. And because of the pandemic, we now understand what vulnerable populations are. So I want everybody to be better informed about preventive disease and preventive illness. Because in this day and age, we don't have a cure for a neurological disorder like Alzheimer's or related dementia. We don't have a cure or a treatment for Parkinson's disease. But there are several things that have been identified that put us at risk for developing those things. And just because we live to be older, age is the main main risk factor for developing Alzheimer's or related dementia. But suffering from strokes is also a risk factor. We know what to do to prevent strokes. So we work hard not to get high blood pressure. We work hard not to get or to control our diabetes. And as things have gone on, and I learned this last week in one of the workshops that I participated in that was bringing us up to date with where we are with Alzheimer's and related dementias, that we know that there's a 20-year history that's associated with the onset of later life dementia. But what they're finding now is it's not just the hypertension. What really becomes the problem is managing lipid disorders. Hypercholesterolemia is more of a risk and a problem of injury to your brain than just having hypertension. As a layman, explain that, what you just said, the lipid Tell me that. Okay. Lipid metabolism has to do with cholesterol, high cholesterol. Okay. High cholesterol in Americans and every place else is usually related to your diet. So if having high cholesterol and high pertension or high blood pressure is associated with my risk of having a heart attack or having a stroke and a stroke we know is likely to result in cognitive problems then I'm going to do something not to have a high cholesterol and not to have high blood pressure. And what are the things that we know that prevent high blood pressure, high cholesterol and diabetes? Eating a heart healthy diet, you know, people will say the Mediterranean or the mind diet, but it's basically low fat, lots of fruit and vegetables, low cholesterol, not fried. Okay. Less meat, more vegetables and fruit. Exercise, not being sedentary, 150 minutes or more a week of aerobic exercise. That can be swimming, that can be bicycling, that can be gardening, that can be just simple walking. So those are things that we can do to prevent illness and prevent disease. So I want my patients to ask me, what can I do to be healthy? What can I do? to make it less likely that I will develop X or Y. So we've got a lot of research out here 
that's been published that talks about the benefits of exercise. We've got a lot of research and published articles that talk about the importance of immunizations against things like influenza, pneumonia, shingles, and the importance of screening for things like lung cancer, vaginal or cervical cancer, and colorectal cancer. Yet despite the fact that we have information and data that shows that there are preventive practices that keep us from getting cancer, diabetes, and heart disease, people of color aren't following those guidelines. Yes, I, um, let me say this, is that I'm always thinking, oh, looking at my mom, I think she's getting better, but I hear you in my head and I know that there is no cure for Alzheimer's or dementia. But what you're telling me is something I learned when we started this podcast years ago, is that staying healthy will help. That seems very simple, but it's so very true. You have to put those practices in place in order to have a healthier lifestyle and in order to help alleviate or or push back or hope for and pray for the best that, you know, dementia or Alzheimer's does not visit you. And that may be less likely if you keep yourself and or your loved one healthy. Yes. Very good, Denise. You're such a good student, doctor. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I know. I learned. And, you know, uh, I'm a person of color and I hear you and I am bad with trying to eat right and exercise and do the right thing. And I know that I need to do it. I hear you in my head. I see your face. And, <laughs> and it, I know that. And you always tell me both my parents had Alzheimer's. So I must be very, very cognizant and very, very careful. And it's hard. And my goodness, I need to get better. I need to get better. And listeners, don't use me as an example, but listen to Dr. Monica. Eat right. A real doctor. <laughs> Won't tell them that. <laughs> But yes, the real doctor, eat right, exercise, you know, that will add longevity to your life and hopefully prayerfully help, you know, fend off Alzheimer's and dementia because a healthy body helps a healthy brain. Oh, you're learning. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now, besides the obvious health questions, when you're in these situations and at these seminars and presentations that I saw you at, there were a lot of good questions from a lot of people. And, and there were some, you know, heartfelt and sort of touching moments because there were many in the audience that you could tell they were personally struggling. They were still able to get to you and get to the location and get to the presentation, but they may be in those early stages of Alzheimer's and dementia themselves. So 
what should they be asking you about what's in front of them? What they should be doing is not worrying about a doctor that they don't have a relationship with. They need to confess their concerns, if you will, or discuss their concerns with their own primary care doctor, because that person is more aware of their overall health picture than a, a, a podcast personality or somebody that you saw in a seminar or lecture. So if there's anything that I would hope that people would get from listening to us and going to programs sponsored by organizations like the Alzheimer's Foundation or the Alzheimer's Association or the Louis Body or the Lupus Foundation or any of those sorts of things is take what you learn from those seminars and web, um, webinars, if you will, and discuss what you learned with your own provider as it relates to you. Your primary relationship in health is with your own primary care provider. And as we've said before, if you don't feel the primary care doctor that you have is paying attention, find another one. But you need to be more, we, I shouldn't say you, I should say we need to be more proactive and more engaged with our relationship with our primary care provider. And, you know, so what you see a, a nurse practitioner all the time, but if you demand to see a doctor, you'll see the doctor. But that's where we have our health relationships and we need to start there. So I would encourage people to make better use, hear me, as I said, better use of the existing medical relationships you already have. You already have a relationship with your primary care doctor. Just make it a richer, better environment. Go to the Center for Medicare Services and understand what's a component of wellness, a, an annual wellness visit, whether you're 35 or 65. Find out what constitutes wellness from your insurance provider. I'm going to say this, you know, we, we say, well, I don't know that I want to do this and I know I should do this. I know I'm supposed to do this. Let me take a, a, a habit, a lifestyle habit that's problematic for most of us, and that's smoking. When you are a smoker, you pay higher health care premiums. Your provider has to charge you more for your health care premium because you are a smoker. We know that smoking puts you at risk for lung cancer, puts you at risk heart disease, and other things. That's why it costs more to take care of a smoker rather than somebody who's not. And that all goes back to what you've been preaching about. It all encompasses a healthy lifestyle and smoking is not a part of that. So let me say one thing that you mentioned about coming to listen to you, uh, which is great, but a person should cultivate that relationship with their own personal care physician. As a layman on the other side, this could be an entire conversation and podcast, but sometimes it is hard because I don't know if I speak for anyone but myself, but I find sometimes that healthcare professionals and the people who work for them are off-putting and they make it very difficult and sometimes very intimidating 
to get your point across, to ask your questions. So I can just say what I have learned to do is uh, many physicians and physicians practices and offices now have patient portals online. And I find that a very um, beneficial way to communicate with my doctor if I feel like I've gone to an appointment and I have not gotten my point across, have not gotten the questions out that I want to ask. So I can just say from a personal standpoint, try using your patient portals. If you go to an office visit and you feel like you didn't get your questions answered or weren't even able to ask the questions and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't ask this. So just a personal point of preference, the portal, go to the portal and ask your questions. If you, you know, were in a situation, you didn't get all the things answered that you wanted to be answered. So, because I, even though I claim to be a doctor, as a patient, when I go see a doctor, <laughs> as a patient, when I go see my doctor, I'm intimidated sometimes because I feel like, you know, I'm not asking the right questions in the right way. I don't know how to ask it. And quite often, even though I like my doctors, um, they're in a hurry. I don't know what it is these days, but there's a certain amount of times that doctors are given to see patients and they brush you off. So like I said, that's another conversation, but do your best, get your questions, write them down. If you forget, don't feel bad about yourself. Go to that portal, say, you know, doc, I forgot to ask you this. And sometimes it's even better to do it in the portal because you have that writing in front of you that you can print off with the answers that he or she gave you. And that's helpful. So that's my soapbox. And I just wanted to say that, but we won't keep our listeners much longer, but you talked about being healthy. You talked about having the relationship with your own personal care physician. And that's who you should really be discussing your situation with. Yes. But let me ask you this, and this is the last thing I'll ask, is that you mentioned medical research from medical organizations What the in the Lancet. I remember you talking about that. Where are some places that people can go online? And you're not advocating or working for specific organizations. We are just two people talking about Alzheimer's and dementia. But where are some places that people can go to get, you know, medical information in more detail that can give them help and knowledge about Alzheimer's and dementia? So this is where what we call advocacy organizations come in. An example is the Alzheimer's Association. Another is the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, Louis Body Foundation of America, Frontotemporal Foundation Societies. All of these different disease entities have a nonprofit organization that exists to provide information to the average person. The can Cancer Society for different kinds of cancer. Those are the organizations that you can access online or it, through a chapter in your community. But aside from those places, other places that might be available to give you information are local hospitals. 
you know, uh, Georgia, for example, is a largely rural state outside of metro Atlanta. And a lot of health information comes through a local health provider or if you're in farming areas, the extension agent, county extension agent office or the public health department. So within different communities, healthcare information is provided free of charge through your county public health department, an advocacy organization, or a governmental agency like the Regional Health Commission or the Extension Service in rural areas. My kids did 4-H and we learned about water, safety, and things like that through those kinds of portals. For those of you who are a little bit more sophisticated and want more information, the National Institutes of Health Library of Medicine has a free website and ready reference of information for any disease entity that you're interested in. The United States government provides that resource to all of us free of charge. National Institutes of Aging, National Institutes of Health. If you confer with the National Institutes of Aging, they give you all of the updated recommendations for how to age well and age in place. You can get lots of free pamphlets and brochures that talk about things like exercise and nutrition and diet. So for those of us who may be on the SNAP program, Senior Nutrition Program for Older Adults, that all comes from the National Institute of Aging. Our federal government provides educational resources for all of the things we've talked about, whether it's Alzheimer's or cancer or aging. Just say United States government resources, Google it, Dr. Google. That's the other doctor in the room. But, you know, just Google governmental offices for different disease processes. But the National Library of Medicine is a resource and repository that is made available to the average citizen about just about anything that has to do with health. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great information. Your taxes are at work. Absolutely. Great conversation. Thank you, Dr. Monica. Have a great day. You too. See you next time. Bye-bye. We love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, NPMK at NPMK Podcast and on Facebook and Instagram. My parents are now my kids. See you next time.